Joseph was told to name a baby Jesus. An angel told him to assume the role of father over the baby, but also to give him that name. Not only was he supposed to take the role of his father by naming him, but he was supposed to give him the right name. Joshua, Yeshua, Iesus, Jesus, just depending on what language you were coming from. And it was an announcement, that name was, about what God was doing by sending him. God saves, or God is salvation. Whole lot of pieces of this plan had to come together into place for this to work. And in the middle of it all is an angel to make sure that it happens. We're talking about angels in the Christmas story over these four weeks. If you're going to successfully navigate the Christmas gauntlet this year in a way that makes it meaningful, in a way that helps you keep your sanity, I can just tell you, you need to do some planning. You have to map it out. What will Christmas Eve and Christmas morning look like at your house? Have you thought that through? Make a plan. Now, we've got the times and events for Central Christian Church already up and, and out there for you to take a look at. By the way, we're working caroling in this year. We've got a big Christmas Eve service planned. Christmas Sunday is going to be on Sunday. You do realize that's happening, right? So what is your Christmas morning going to look like? Going to open presents? Is there going to be the reading of the Christmas story? Will you be eating more than donuts that day? Will you be opening presents that needed to be charged, or did you get batteries? That's an important question. You have to set the agenda, or else I guarantee you it's very easy for the whole point of Christmas to get swallowed up in the details of it, isn't it? I see that very thing happening in telling the Christmas story in the Gospel of Matthew. When Matthew tells the story of Jesus' birth, he's very careful to plan out how he is going to tell this very full, very, very elaborate story about God coming to earth. And so he sets the table so the point won't get lost in the details. We're in the book of Matthew this morning, and I'd like you please to open up to that. Matthew chapter 1. In the first 17 verses, of his gospel, Matthew talks about the family tree of Jesus, how he is a descendant from the line of David through Joseph. That's an important fact that Matthew is careful to point out. And then he helps us to begin to understand some of the details of Jesus' birth. It's going to involve some Old Testament predictions. It's going to involve some geography. It's going to involve some of the politics of the day. It's going to involve some dates, some families, some individuals. All of that woven together into this thing we call the Christmas story. This morning, there is this young couple chosen by God to play an absolutely essential role in the whole story. And like each part of the Christmas story, we're going to take a look over these next four weeks, that there is an angel in the middle of it to help it all happen. Matthew 1, verse 18. Let's start reading together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Mary and Joseph live in a scrubby little town called Nazareth of Galilee. Now, just for a second in your head, I want you to picture this morning, think of, come up with the U.S. town that you think of that you refer to as an insult. The town that has a bad reputation or that's kind of backwards or the town that people move away from if they can. The town that you don't want to be from because people would make fun of you. All right? What town comes to mind in your head? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It's kind of like someone from Colorado thinking of the whole state of Kansas. All right? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> Got it in mind? That town? All right. That town is Nazareth in Galilee. People from Galilee have an accent, the kind that people notice. People from Nazareth of Galilee have things said about them like, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? So as Mary and Joseph begin their married life together as a couple, they have that hanging over them already. Mary is most likely, get this, somewhere from 12 to 16 years old, based on what we know about the times. Joseph, probably 18 to 20 years old. Their match typically would have been arranged by their parents along with their consent. Contracts were negotiated. A price was paid to Mary's family. There had to be two witnesses for the whole process. A formal declaration would be then made by Joseph, and that was it. They were declared betrothed. We use the word engaged. But it carried a whole lot more weight in that culture. Did you notice as we read these couple of verses that Mary is referred to as Joseph's wife? And that in order to break up their engagement, he would have to go through a process called divorce. It is a legally binding contract. They even referred to one another as husband and wife. If one of them died, the other would receive the inheritance of a spouse. But the couple didn't live together, typically for about one year. And then there would be this great big celebration. They would be married and start life together. But during that one-year period, as they aren't yet living together, good things would happen. The husband had a year to get ready to, to have a place for them to live in. And also during that time, the year served to prove that their vow of purity to one another was kept. It demonstrated that. So if the woman was found to be pregnant during that time, obviously she wasn't pure. And that's where Joseph found himself. Engaged to, betrothed to, someone apparently he loved dearly, but was devastated by appeared to what be her, uh, to be her unfaithfulness. So we learned something about Joseph's character in just these couple of verses he didn't want to shame Mary, and so he is thinking through, how can he proceed to divorce her quietly? Their relationship would be ended. Mary would have to fend for herself or live with her parents to, to provide, and Joseph at least would be able to maintain some sense of dignity as he backed out of the situation, some sense of respectability. It isn't settled yet. 
But that's what he's trying to sort through. He's trying to sort it out in a way that seems best to him. And this is the part of the uh, story where an angel shows up. Remember, the angel's name itself, angel, means messenger. I'm going to ask that from time to time. What does angel mean? It means messenger. See how easy that was? Good. That is exactly what this angel has for Joseph, a message. Chapter 1, let's keep reading in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just like Tom talked about this morning, angels always start off by saying, fear not. And sure enough, even in this dream, here's an angel saying it, fear not. By the way, there is a piece of advice for everybody in that that finds himself or herself afraid and unsure of what to do. Can I tell it to you this morning? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Whatever the situation you're faced with, God hasn't walked off from the situation. And what looks like a hopeless situation to you is a situation that God has already seen the outcome for. Fear not. We could go ahead and just consider that today for ourselves, couldn't we? Fear not. God has this. Amen? Amen. So this gender reveal party for Joseph hosted by an angel, gives Joseph two things to do. Go ahead and marry her. And when this son is born, name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's not really clear if the quote by the angel ends there and it's Matthew adding some commentary or if it's the angel who continued to speak. But this is what Isaiah said. Some 700 years before, in Isaiah chapter 7, a son will be miraculously conceived and born, and he will be called God with us. Some might refer to him later as the carpenter's son, but he is God's son, God with us. Can you hear the questions that roar through Joseph's mind? Why do we need God with us? Why does God come to earth through a woman? Why through a woman in a way that's going to seem scandalous? Why Mary? Why me? And I can't begin to list all the questions that Joseph must have been tackling, but the next two verses begin to tell us even more about the character of this man that God chose. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So Matthew is very careful as he lays out the story to point out that while Joseph kept their marriage plans, he still wouldn't be credited as the father of this child. His birth was a miracle. 
Luke, in his account, gives us a little bit more information later on. Chapter 2 of Luke, verse 21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given, it literally says the name called, by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus was named, the baby was named before he was conceived in the womb. Somewhere, step back from the book of Matthew, somewhere from the perspective of the realms of glory, others are watching this story. As angels watch and long to look into these things, they watch as human history progresses to just the right moment for all of this to happen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, In the fullness of time, God sent his Son, born of a woman. At just the right time, just the right time in human history. Roman roads that had been built by that time would allow for the gospel message to be carried on foot in the mouths of God's people to a greater part of the world. The Greek language that just about everybody in that time knew or knew of could be used to write the New Testament and people all over could read it. Even the Old Testament had been translated into Greek. The synagogues of the Jews would serve as a place that people of God were already gathering so that they could gather and listen to the gospel message as it came into being. The sappy, polytheistic gods of the Greek mythology and of the Roman world that adopted them left people wanting and ready for the true God. It was just the right time for Jesus to come. And so it begins. John the Baptist will be born six months before Jesus. And now Mary carries in her womb the hope of mankind, God in flesh. But what's Joseph going to do? Well, as the story opens up, he's going to break off their marriage. This very important part of the story, the one selected to be his earthly father is going to leave it all. So just as God has planned... An angel is dispatched to Nazareth. We look at this story and we think about well, how kind that is, how good it is that God sent this angel to Joseph to help him get over his fears and his confusion and have that relieved. Mary hasn't cheated on him. His entire future hasn't been dashed on the rocks. But the purpose of this angel visit that we're looking at here in Matthew 1 is bigger. The mission is to get Joseph back on track. His work in all of this is vital. This holy child has a purpose for his arrival. Joseph has an important part of the story. Think for a moment, what would the Christmas story look like if Joseph at this point had bugged out? Instead, he called his name Jesus. Joseph wouldn't have been in the position to name the child if Joseph wasn't there as his father. Mary wouldn't have had the means to raise Jesus, and as it was, they already lived in poverty. And he called his name Jesus. By naming him, Joseph took on the responsibility for this child to be his earthly father. 
And I like to imagine, as this all comes to pass, that somewhere up in the heavenly realm, there were some angels patting another one on the back saying, good job, you got it done. He, he, he followed through. He did what he's supposed to do. Mission accomplished. And Joseph's on board. Crisis averted. All done through the work of an angel. This name Jesus, Yeshua in Aramaic, Jesus in Greek, Hebrew, Yeshua or Joshua, means God is salvation or Jehovah his help. But just giving the child a name wasn't enough. Giving him the right name was necessary too. And from the time his name is told, Jesus' life is filled with divine purpose and his name tells us that story. Before Jesus was born, before he could utter a sound, before he could hear his name clearly, his name meant that he was coming to save mankind from sin by becoming a sacrifice for all. As Mary whispered it in his ear, Jesus, there was that reminder. As Joseph called him to his side as a boy to learn, Jesus, The purpose was stated in his name. The Jewish people of Jesus' day would have understood that God was sending salvation through the Messiah who was to come. They prayed for the day when God would rescue his people from the consequences of their sin, the consequences that looked very much like living under Roman oppression during their day. They were waiting for Messiah. And Jesus would come with a name that bore a clue to this most important purpose of his arrival. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, this whole Christmas story that you and I will be hearing and going over many times over these next weeks, the whole Christmas story is kind of like my mom's sugar cookies. I remember as a kid, mom's killer sugar cookies, the very best sugar cookies, by the way, in the entire world. I remember that those sugar cookies were several steps to get done before they got to the finished product, and there would sit the sugar cookies baked, but plain. They needed somebody to decorate them. They needed some stuff on top, some color, some thought, some care, and they also needed somebody to eat them. Yeah. That's just the life of a sugar cookie. Well, the Christmas story is kind of like that. You can read it, you can reread it, but before we leave here today, if we leave here today, and then as a result of reading it, we don't do anything about it, it's kind of like that plain cookie sitting on the counter. It might look interesting, but it's not doing any good. So I want to leave here this morning with some things for us to do. Amen? Let's find some things to do as we talk about this story. Here's some things I think that can come out for us to walk out of here with. The first one is this, walk the walk. Don't just speak it. Let me ask you a question this morning. When the angel came to Joseph and gave him this message, by the way, in a dream, nobody else was going to hear it but Joseph. Did he believe the angel? Did he believe the story was true? Some of you are saying yes. Why do you think that? 
Why do we think that Joseph believed the angel? Simple. Joseph's actions demonstrated he believed the message was true, right? He heard the message, and then he went and acted on it. Do you suppose it cost him? Do you suppose everyone would believe him if he tried to explain to them the reason that Mary is pregnant before their wedding? Think about that. Mary, oh yeah, well, she's going to bear the Messiah. That's how the angel explained it to me anyway. Yeah, it's a God thing. Who knew? (laughs) Not everybody would have bought into this plan. So Joseph had to decide to face the cost of obedience. Some 32 years later, Jesus would tell the crowds that if you want to follow him, you need to count the cost before you make that decision. Just as surely as a builder would count up the cost of a building project before he starts building, just as surely as a general would weigh out whether or not he has the troops in place to win a battle, you need to count the cost of following Jesus. You need to be realistic about following those plans. Maybe you've considered Jesus and you don't think that he is worth it. Maybe you've decided that you would rather have temporary treasures on earth and you would rather face forever without God. You get to choose that if you want to. Just don't do this, please. Don't tell me or anyone else that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and then leave here today without ever giving him control of your life. Walk the walk. If you believe the message, let it show up in your life. That's what Joseph did. We know he believed. Here's something else we could do. I want to encourage you to recapture a sense of why God blesses us. What if God has some role for you to play, and like Joseph, you've been planning differently instead? What if there's this plan and it involves you, but you've looked at the cost and because of the potential cost, you've headed another direction when God wants you to go through? What if the souls of people depend on your faithfulness? What if that's the case? What if for someone or someones, the difference between life in heaven forever with God and burning forever in hell depends on you being God's messenger? What if that's the case? You see, when God gives help to us, it's not just for us. Have you ever met somebody who has a really strong sense of divine purpose in their life? A person who has made it through some horrible disease or who has had some really significant experience, some terrible accident or something, and people like that look back on their experience and they say things like, hey, God gave me a second chance. I'm still here for some reason, so I'm living my life like that. Or God gave me this experience in life, and I wouldn't have chosen it, but he gave me this experience, and now I don't want it to go to waste. I want to use it for him. Imagine how Joseph felt as he considered the weight of the responsibility that God was putting on his shoulders, not just the weight of a new father, but as the father of God in flesh. When God blesses us, it's bigger than just us. You realize that? Have you been blessed? You've been blessed to be a blessing to others. You've been brought through the valley 
Someone else could use your help right now to figure out how to get through the valley they're in. God doesn't have us go through those things. God doesn't bless us just for us. Here's something else I think we can take out this morning, and that is the challenge to be the next messenger. God used angels all through the Christmas story to explain what was going on. Now that has been passed along. Church, you and I are the frontline workers now on that task. You and I are the ones who are supposed to be explaining to our generation that Jesus was here to save his people from their sins. That's come upon us. Your friend has a limited understanding about God's plan or he or she has had a bad experience with a church decades ago or that person grew up in the church and has reached college age and has made the choice to divorce himself from it all. What would happen if your friend just understood that there is a good reason to do life God's way? What would happen for your friend? You see, it's time to step up, to step up and help your friend with a message and like an angel to deliver the message. Tell your friend the whole message of the gospel. It's good news. Share it. Remind your friend God loves him, God loves her, and that people are the ones who let us down, not God. Call your friend back to his roots. Call your friend back to her roots. Hey, has God ceased to exist? Has the truth of God's word changed? Do Satan's plans for your future really now outshine God's plans for your future? Call him back. Be the next messenger. Here's one more thing I want to encourage us to do. In light of what we've looked at here in Matthew's gospel this morning, that is to speak the name of Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus. I hear it misused all the time. So do you. How sad that people who use it as an exclamation point don't realize the significance of what they're uttering when they say that name. How sad that couched with in the inside of Christmas songs that are being sung by all kinds of people this season, the name of Jesus is going to be sung even without any recognition for what it means. God saves us. It was no small matter for Joseph to be told what to name the baby. Jesus was going to be called by a lot of titles. We use a lot of those titles. Son of man, Messiah, teacher, master, lamb of God, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father. Those were titles that each tell of some aspect of what Jesus did. But I want you to remember this morning his name is Jesus. His name is about who he is. His name describes the purpose of his journey to earth as a little baby in Mary's womb. His name reflects the fact that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. Jesus. Reflect on his name. Speak his name, Jesus. Let the sound of that name bring joy to your heart, Jesus. Let the angel's message to Joseph restore your hope, 
in your hopeless situation, Jesus. Say it like the name of your greatest hero, Jesus. Call his name like he's the only one who can save you, Jesus. Whisper it in wonder of his great love, Jesus. Call on that name today. Call on that name, the name above all names. The name at which every tongue on earth and under the earth and every knee will bow, every tongue confess, every knee bow, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Call on that name, Jesus. Someone listening to this message this morning hasn't done that. Someone has yet to call on the name of the Lord. We've, we've listened to it. We listened to it from the first chapter of John. For those who believed in him, who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus. You need to call on his name. How do you do that? Well, you, you acknowledge that he is who he claimed to be. You come forward and say, this one that I'm thinking of, whose name I am speaking, this one deserves to be Lord in my life. You come and you say, I'm done with the old life. I'm turning away from it. You're baptized into him. Something that he gave us where we can take on his Holy Spirit living inside of us. We can be living like new people calling on his name, Jesus. We want you to do that today. If you're online and you haven't made that choice, we want you to respond by getting in touch with us today. Don't just say, I'm going to do that sometime here before Christmas. Do that today. Maybe here this morning, that's something you need to do and you realize it for the first time. It's finally hit you. I need to do this. Step forward today. We're going to sing a song that's going to be our time for concluding here. And while we're singing it, if that's a decision you need to make, right down here at the front, I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand up together. We're going to pray together. We're going to ask God to work on our hearts as we enter into a time to think about and respond to his invitation. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the name, the name that is above all names, the name that means that you save us, that you haven't left us, that you have even made a way for us to be right with you, though we have walked off from you. Father, thank you for the story, the story of salvation wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, God among us. God, I pray today that the significance of that name won't escape us, that it, it will be on our mouths for good purposes this week, that we will speak it with adoration and with wonder and with joy. Father, today there are some who haven't made that decision, who aren't following Christ, who just uh, have put that off or have never been honestly open to the fact that Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he did what we read about him in the scriptures, that he's coming again. God, let this be the day, please, 
that decisions are made for you, that honor you, so that others will join us around your throne one day forever. And it is in that name that we pray, Jesus. Amen.